Today we are going to play ourselves, myself, in with the best non-lyrical song ever. God, I love that. You know, my dad has it set that whenever my grandmother calls him, that that plays as the ringtone. It's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> all right, so this is Abandoned Tact. I'm Angelina, and abandon your tact at the door. Today, we are going to be starting a new series woo, about financial literacy and financial education of the youth of America. And I'm basing this shit in America again because I'm American, if you haven't picked up on that already. Like, let's be honest here. It's pretty obvious. Uh, and I realized that tackling financial literacy on the global scale is so complicated and nuanced that it's just not something that I'm capable of doing at the moment. So we need to narrow that shit down and we're doing financial literacy in America, but I'm doing nationwide. So like, don't log off if you're from California. <laughs> All right, let us begin. So we're still gonna start with a research question because that's how I roll. How financially literate are young Americans aged 18 to 25? That is my question. We might not be able to answer that exact question, but I think it's a good start. And here's why you should care. Most of the people watching are American because I checked my stats. I can do that. I didn't even know I could do that. <laughs> so this applies to you. You're American. If you're not American, then this doesn't totally apply to you, but stick around for my amazing personality, please, because of course you would. Uh, now, I did check my stats. And I did realize that most of the people who listen to this podcast, which is not that many, so I'm not going to like get a stick in my ass about it, are 28 to 44, which was really weird for me to find out because y'all are like twice my age. <laughs> And so even if you're not in the age range of young people, like being financially literate, it is still important to know about financial literacy statistics and to know about, you know, maybe you've got some holes in your financial literacy education. So with that said and done, what does the research question mean? What does it mean to be financially literate? Investopedia defines financial literacy as the ability to understand and effectively use various financial skills, including personal financial management, budgeting, and investing. And that sounds really weird and complicated and stupid. Well, not stupid, but the, the basic laydown of that is to be financially literate is to know what it means when someone hands you a checkbook. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I think of it. Like, how does it work? What do you write? What's going on? It's to know what it means when someone's talking about micro investments, when someone's talking about you know their food budget or some shit like that. Being financially literate just means being aware of that and knowing how it works. And why are we focusing on young Americans? Because young Americans are 
much more likely to be financially illiterate. Uh, we, I'm including myself in this, are more likely to make impulsive decisions, which leads us very well to our next point. Uh, but, and if you want to know about common mistakes young people make financially and how you can improve your own financial literacy, that is in part three. Just know that you will totally hurt my feelings if you skip and I will never forgive you and you're not welcome back. Like, bye. <laughs> All right. So our next point, self-control and decision making as it relates to the prefrontal cortex. So the prefrontal cortex is a part of your brain. It's in the front because it's the prefrontal cortex. And to describe it, I'm going to quote a website called Neuroscientifically Challenged. So strap in because you know this is going to be fun. The prefrontal cortex is the section of the frontal cortex that lies in the very front of the brain, in front of the premotor cortex. The prefrontal cortex makes up over 10% of the volume of the brain and thus is involved in many functions. The prefrontal cortex is probably best known for executive function. And fantastic news for everyone out there, the prefrontal cortex is not finished developing until your mid-twenties. So I'm, I'm screwed. Uh, <laughs> and the prefrontal cortex has a big role in self-control and decision-making. And, you know, I know we're getting into science here, but I promise this relates back to the main point. Uh, it's vital in decision-making uh, because the prefrontal cortex coordinates higher-order cognitive processes and executive functioning. And executive functions are a set of supervisory cognitive skills needed for goal-directed behavior, including planning, response, inhibition, working memory, and attention. And maybe you can already make the connection how this results to how you handle financials. Uh, but so we're left with this whole group of people, 18 to 25, who don't have a fully formed prefrontal cortex, do not have the fully formed ability to understand their inhibitions or, or are, are not fully formed in their ability to executively function and are also given the responsibility of managing their own financial situation without the knowledge of how to do that. And you can see where we're going, which is not a good place. If like, put that all in a pot and you get like bad, not just like bad chili or something, just bad. That does not make any sense, but let's be clear. I made that up off the bat, and nothing I make up off the bat makes any sense. <laughs> All right, back to quoting about the prefrontal cortex, because it makes me sound smarter than I actually am. According to CNN Health, the interaction between those two brain regions, the ventral medical prefrontal cortex and the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, is stronger for people who show greater self-control with either money or food. So... That's another thing that shows once you are better connected in your brain, once you're more developed and older, you show better self-control. And again, add that to the bad, to the pot of bad, the pot of bad chili. It's like chili, but someone added way too many beans. <laughs> and we're just like adding in more beans. Like this is what all this stuff is. The chili is financial literacy. And all this, de all these details is just like a giant, like gallon of beans that we're just tilting in there. <laughs> so, why does that matter? 
God, I'm stuck on my own dumbass analogy. I'm I'm so bad at podcasting. I is that a word? Yeah, moving on from that. So how does this all relate back to financial literacy? Well, young people are more likely to not be financially literate, which on one hand means they don't know what the fuck they're doing. They get drawn into these shit loans, into these like into these bad situations financially, but they have no idea what's going on. And also, they have less impulse control than people who have A, more financial literacy, and and B, more age. So that's another reason they're going to get drawn into this bad loans, or they're going to go and impulse buy a car when they get their first paycheck. And that's not something I'm saying out of the blue. Like, actually, like, that's something that does happen. Like, young person gets high-paying job, and it's like, ooh, I have money. You know, instead of saving or investing, let's go impulse buy an expensive car. Again, this will relate a lot better to the interview in episode three, uh, because I have a couple of surprises for you there. And we will be talking to someone who runs a company that helps uh, young people manage their financials. And it's for, like, sportsmen. What do you call sports players? Just sports players? Athletes? Athletes. So, uh, I'm brain dead today. All right. So, the we're going to be interviewing this guy later in episode three who helps young athletes manage their financial situation. I keep saying manage a financial situation because that's from Hamilton and it's been stuck in my head for three years. So it is important. Now let's move on to the next point before I ramble for too long, which is too late because I have already rambled for too long. Financial education of the youth. Building personal financial capability early in life can give people a foundation for later life financial well-being. Schools are an important channel to provide the education that can improve financial capability. Financial educators and policymakers face many decisions about whether and how to implement financial education. That is all quotes, but it is an important quote because it shows, A, financial capability early in life can give a foundation for people, blah, 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 and B, that having financial education can improve your financial abilities, and also C, that schools can help do that. So, this leads me to my big to my big thing. There needs to be more nationwide policies about financial education in high school as like a graduation requirement. That's my big thing here. Like I think that that is a great idea and I don't actually and if someone has like a real reason that that's not a great idea and not just like but when I was in high school, I didn't like math, so I didn't want to learn about financial literacy in a high school. Like, if someone has, like, an actual reason that it wouldn't be a good idea, like, I'll hear that shit out, but I think it's a great idea. All right. So let's move on to more quotes that support that amazing idea. <laughs> Across rigorous youth financial education and empirical research, findings remain relatively consistent. Financial education can improve financial knowledge and financial behaviors. Young people who develop the fundamentals of financial capability are more likely to become financially secure adults. 
There's also evidence that when a rigorous financial education program is carefully implemented, it can improve credit behaviors for young adults. And high school students in 21 states already have to take personal financial courses in order to graduate. So I'm just suggesting we make it all the states. All the states, you must suffer through a financial course, but you'll thank them for it later. You know how people in school are like, I'm never going to use this in real life. You will use this in real life. You're just not going to use advanced calculus in real life unless you become a rocket scientist, which I guess. <laughs> All right, let's move to the next point because I'm speeding through this shit. Government policies and organizations regarding financial literacy. We've already heard a little bit about that because we just saw that in 21 states, students must take a personal financial course in order to graduate high school. But what else? Well, the government actually makes yearly plans about financial literacy and has several programs that support it. The issue is the lack of national legislation requiring financial education. Let me say that one more time. <laughs> So the U.S. government actually took action in regard to this in 2003, where the U.S. Financial Literacy and Education Commission was established. And it was established to improve the financial literacy and education of persons in the United States through the development of a national strategy to promote financial literacy and education. So we've been having these financial literacy strategies since the early 2000s. And while that is improving the situation, kind of, a little bit, uh, we also need to realize that having the plans and, like, programs doesn't actually help if no one knows about them. Because before researching this, I had no goddamn clue there was actual government legislation about, like, or actual government plans about financial literacy and actual government resources about how to become more financially literate. I had no goddamn clue. And I think I'm actually like one of their like people that they want to know about this. I am a young person who will soon be uh, working with my own financial issues and who needs to know how to deal with that. And no, I'm not giving an age because I don't want people to track me down because it's the internet. There's scary people on the internet. I mean, come on. <laughs> but I think the two big issues I have with this is that the majority of legislation regarding financial literacy is on the state or county level. And while that is helpful, it doesn't support a nationwide requirement of financial education programs. And also, the stuff that we do have is stuff no one knows about. Get a better marketing team. Come on, U.S. government. You can market, like, the president elections shit, but you can't market important stuff. Not that presidential elections aren't important, but they get way too much attention. Let's be clear. <laughs> like, maybe, like, take a one-fiftieth of the time you've spent marketing, like, vote for a president, uh, vote for this one or this one, or, like, campaign shit, and actually put that towards, hey, guys, if you're financially literate and don't know what taxes are, here's a place you can learn about that. Because I think that's important, right? <laughs> All right, well, this episode has mostly been rambling and shit and cursing that I don't mean to do, but I get nervous when I ramble, and I ramble when I'm nervous, and it's a never-ending cycle of nervous rambling and then cursing, and I think you get the point. 
Sorry if this episode threw you off my podcast forever. I wouldn't blame you. I'm kind of having a like off day with the whole rambling stuff. I usually try and rein that in a little bit. I guess not today. <laughs> so this is the end of the episode. And I'm sure you're very grateful for that. So bye. I will see you later. I will try and leave before I get into another rant.